Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 397th edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting across the world and this is our ninth year. We've just arrived in Mexico and we're broadcasting today from the Centro Historical Area of Mexico City. We're here just for a few days giving a couple of speeches and then I'm going to do a bit of sightseeing. I've been here several times but haven't really got to see a lot because I always fly in, give a speech and fly out. So I'm looking forward to getting out and about for a couple of days. This is Pride Week across America. No more so than here in Hollywood, and in West Hollywood in particular. And I want to wish everyone who's celebrating the LGBTQ community a absolutely fantastic week. Of course, everyone should be celebrating our incredible diversity, but unfortunately, we still have some unenlightened people among us. Unfortunately, not around here. <laughs> now, the number of facial recognition cameras are increasing in Britain and in the US. They're watching and tracking and identifying you almost everywhere you go. Our faces are being scanned and subjected to a digital police lineup everywhere we go, and we don't even know about it. There are over 6 million surveillance cameras in the UK. That's one for every 10 people. That's more per citizen than any other country in the world except China. In the UK, biometric photos are taken and stored of people whose faces match with criminals, even if the match is wrong. In the UK, police watch locals with facial recognition cameras fixed to unmarked vans that are parked in the street. Protesters hold placards, hand out leaflets and speak to members of the public about their views. And frequently, plainclothes police monitor how people respond to the leaflets and signs. They are tasked to stop people who avoid the facial recognition cameras, people who cover up their faces or wear hats over their face, have their photo taken and have to hand over ID. Now, the UK is adopting surveillance technologies in a style more typical of China than of the West. Police in England and Wales have used facial recognition to surveil peaceful protests and people with mental health problems. No other police force in Europe is using live facial recognition for public surveillance yet, but it may not be long. Meanwhile, in the US, districts are bringing forward bans on live facial recognition. San Francisco, which is the home to Silicon Valley, passed a majorly um, symbolic ban on law enforcement agencies using facial recognition just this week. With an increase in international and domestic tourism, terrorism, terrorism, idiot. (laughs) With an increase in international and domestic terrorism, not to mention violent crime in a country with 360 million people, and 393 million guns in the hands of its residents? The question is, can we have security without living in a security state? 
London's Metropolitan Police are deciding whether they will adopt facial recognition for good. And if they do, the floodgates will probably be open to police forces all around the UK deploying this surveillance too. Watchdog groups will step in and start legal proceedings and it's sure to end up in court. Watchdog groups plan to emulate San Francisco to set a precedent that authoritarian surveillance has no place in Europe. Now, I don't know how I feel about this. My mum used to say that if you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear. And uh, high-tech crime prevention and crime-solving tools like facial recognition and CCTV and DNA, crime forecasting, forensic analysis, surreptitious surveillance, behavioural analysis, what else, AI, are increasingly useful and probably inevitable in our complex self-entitled world. Privacy is also important. I think the bottom line is that victims don't care who or what rescues them, whether it's cameras, cops or good Samaritans. They just want to be rescued. They don't want to be killed. Even unabashed privacy zealots are quick to change sides when they're personally victimised. It's not surprising because human nature always trumps human rhetoric. So I think it's inevitable. But most of us don't have anything to fear. And if you sit and watch the morning news for half an hour, you know, you want to get these bastards off the street, don't you? And how many people get away? So um, as I said, I'm in a bit of a quandary, but I must admit I'm leaning a bit more towards surveillance than I ever did previously. Do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? It's a newsletter every day. It's got about 1.8 million subscribers. takes 30 to 60 seconds a day to read, and every day we tackle a different subject from advances in medicine. We talk about new apps, new technologies, subjects like Hyperloop, autonomous cars, blockchain. We do quite a bit on cryptocurrency. They're all topics that you really should know something about. And today's newsletter is about how you should really love your customers. After all, they're the people keeping you in business. It's up to you to build powerful, long-term, successful relationships, and you can do that really easily. I mean, seriously, it is really easy. You simply show them that you care about them. 67% of all customers lose business because the customer feels that the company or the store or whatever it is doesn't care enough about them, not because you've done anything wrong, simply because they don't think you care. As many of you know, I was a performer for over 20 years and uh, I love concerts and theatre. So one of the reasons why I love living in West Hollywood is that the area is steeped in rock and roll. In fact, all music and iconic venues. Um, last night, I went to a 200-seat theatre and uh, saw Colin Hay, who was the lead singer of Men at Work, you know, Vegemite Sandwich and all that stuff. 
it was brilliant and just a small intimate theatre. So today I'm interviewing a dynamic advocate for West Hollywood, the CEO of the West Hollywood Chamber of Commerce, Genevieve Murill. Now, this is a chamber made up of technology entrepreneurs, entertainment movie people, and it is really exciting. It's a, it's great. So there's hardly a suit and tie to be seen, which is also great. So before I start the interview with Genevieve, I'm going to take you on a short tour of what must be the most vibrant, exciting and eccentric city in the world, West Hollywood, California. This is Bob Pritchard. And I'll be back with Genevieve in just a moment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Over the past nine years and something like 450 guests, we've given you an insight into the lives of some of the world's most interesting business people. Now, the backbone of the U.S. economy in in fact, nearly all Western democracies, is small business. And one of the most important tools available to small business is chambers of commerce. Now, there are about 13,000 chambers with paid staff around the world, and about 4,000 of those are in the US. And uh, a few nights ago, I attended a mixer at my local West Hollywood Chamber of Commerce, and I was reminded of the fabulous work that chambers do, few years ago, um, or a couple of years ago, I did a tour across America speaking to Chambers for a year, and uh, I got a real appreciation of what a fabulous job they do. But to start off, I'm going to do something a little bit different. For those of you listening across the world who may not be familiar with West Hollywood, I want to give you just a brief history of my town. I live in West Hollywood, um, and uh, in 1886... Moses Hazeltine Sherman bought a portion of land in order to construct segments of the Pacific and the Pasadena Electric Railways. He named this intersection of the two railways Sherman. After his name, a bit of an egocentric mind, 
The booming motion picture industry in the 1920s made Sherman an attractive residential area for film stars, and soon the movie business entered West Hollywood. Charlie Chaplin, Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks founded Pickford Fairbanks Studios and United Artists established here. And in 1925, Sherman became West Hollywood. In fact, the house that I live in, in West Hollywood, used to be owned by Joan Crawford. And Joan Crawford was one of Hollywood's most prominent movie stars. And in 1945, she won an Academy Award for Best Actress in Mildred Pierce. In fact, we've had people staying at the house who will swear that at like one o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the morning, they've seen Joan Crawford walking around the house. Now, I don't know whether that's because there's always a copious quantity of alcohol flowing or whether they actually saw something. But at this time, West Hollywood didn't have a police department um, and it became a hotbed of liquor and nightlife. The dirt road connecting Beverly Hills and Hollywood became known as Sunset Strip and nightclubs, hotels and restaurants sprung up all along the strip. Gambling brought in mobsters like Bugsy Siegel and Mickey Cohen. I was once married to Mickey Cohen's granddaughter, just by the by. And regulars at strip nightclubs like Ciro's, which is now the Comedy Store, and the Melody Room, which is now the Viper Room. And in the golden age of Hollywood, West Hollywood was the swankiest, most glamorous nightlife destination in Los Angeles. And, I might add, it still is. In the 60s and 70s, it became a major gathering place for the counterculture, with hippies and musicians and artists flooding the streets. Acts like Led Zeppelin, The Doors and Elton John won over crowds at the Troubadour, the Whiskey A Go-Go, the Roxy, a whole bunch of great clubs. The Sunset Strip then became the centre for punk rock, a new wave, and for glam metal and heavy metal during the 80s. Acts including The Doors, Janis Joplin, Van Halen, Motley Crue, Guns N' Roses and a whole bunch more redefined the standard for excess in West Hollywood. And it's everywhere in this area. If you, if you go up um, Laurel Canyon, then there are so many places that featured prominently in the history of music. And I was in a studio on Sunset just a few days ago that was once the rundown and sleazy club London Fog where the doors met and for a while they had a residency. It's incredible that almost every building in West Hollywood and Laurel Canyon seems to be a slice of rock and roll history. Dispossessed and uh, underserved minorities, most notably gay, lesbian and gender queer identifying people, flocked to West Hollywood to escape the persecution that they faced at the hands of the LAPD. In 1984, a vote took place to officially incorporate the area as the city of West Hollywood, and they elected a city council with an openly gay majority. West Hollywood developed a reputation as a self-governed gay city and became a vanguard for progressive legislation, social change and LGBTQ culture. West Hollywood is still Los Angeles' hottest destination for entertainment industry. It's got 
lots of great boutique hotels, celebrity-owned restaurants, unparalleled nightlife. There's fantastic events all the time. Um, the HBO Emmy parties, Sir Elton John's Oscar party, LA Pride and the West Hollywood Halloween Carnival, which is the largest Halloween street party on the planet. West Hollywood is a just a fantastic place. It's vibrant, it's exciting, and it sets the standard for progressive, creative individuals on the cutting edge of technology, media, music, and film. So, accordingly, the West Hollywood Chamber of Commerce, which was set up in 1921, is very cool. I, at the reception the other night, um, I was struck by how sort of cool and groovy and young and dynamic people were and uh, that's quite a change from some of the chambers that I spoke at where everybody was in a suit and tie and was stitched up. Now my interview guest today was a long interview (laughs) is Genevieve Morrill who in 1999 came to work in West Hollywood as a director of marketing for the magnificent Pacific Design Centre. It's this huge structure, which is beautiful, and it's right in the middle of West Hollywood. Within four years, she became vice president of the Design Centre. In 2010, she became president and CEO for the West Hollywood Chamber of Commerce. Genevieve's increased membership of WeHo Chamber. WeHo, that's what we locals call it, WeHo Chamber, by over 20%. She strengthened the financial stability of the organisation, developed new programs and promotions, you know, driving traffic and um, and members. And she's implemented an award-winning website, get this, which receives 15,000 referrals a day for business. Sheesh. That's, a, that's an incredible effort. She's also an LA County Business Licence Commissioner and serves as President for WC3, which encompasses 13 West Side Chambers. She's got a whole bunch more accolades, um, but that's probably enough for now. She's a very talented, very smart, very positive and aggressive, not aggressive in the form of, in the terms of... Um, being aggro, but aggressive in the terms of working a tail off. And uh, and this interview coincides with the start of Pride Month and in the week of the West Hollywood Pride, which is a fabulous march and party in WeHo. Hi, Genevieve. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You're now being heard right across the world. Wow, Bob. Well, drop the mic. Uh, I don't need to say, but that was... <laughs> Wonderful, thank you. Never, <laughs> what a great overview. I, I don't. Um, um, I haven't never done that before, but I thought that um, you know I'm really proud of living in West Hollywood. It's a, it's a it is a fabulous place, and uh, yeah. and I thought you know the rest of the world might be um, might be interested in you know what happens here. Yeah, well, thank you so much, and we did have a fabulous mixer the other night, and it is our crowd is very diverse and interesting and various businesses and um and i i was interesting as you talked about the history of west hollywood the chamber really goes hand in hand with that history because i don't know if you're aware of this but the chamber of commerce in west hollywood was established in 1921 
so um, we were established as the Sherman Chamber of Commerce, as you said, the town of Sherman. Yeah. And then in 1925, when Sherman changed the name to compete with Hollywood to West Hollywood, uh, we became the West Hollywood Chamber of Commerce. So even though the city itself wasn't incorporated until 1984. Uh, this chamber was responsible for not allowing the area to be annexed four different times by Los Angeles so that it could become its own uh, city later on. So um, we're really proud of the chamber and, of course, being in the most exciting city in the world, we think, you know, a little biased, but we, we really do believe we have, it's a, it's, it's a feeling, right, Bob? No, it's, it's sort it, of like, it's a feeling, it's an experience, it's yeah. hard to put your finger on it. And it, yeah. it's interesting that no matter where you go, um, you know, you pop up to a friend's place uh, that lives locally and you say, you know, in this house you used to live such and such, and you go, wow, like, our house uh, yeah. used to be Jones, Joan Crawford's, and it, oh, wow. it's just it's just incredible to think that you know you're part of this very rich history um, of music and film and and the arts and and, and now technology that's that's changed the world and is continuing to change the world. It's quite remarkable. Yeah. Yeah, it really is, and they they really have continued to uh, our city council, our city, and the chamber itself really plays a role in advocating uh, beyond the borders of West Hollywood and helping to look at laws and legislation that impact you know for the chamber, of course, the business community and how we can help make help help them succeed. Um, so, and what a great place to have the epicenter of pride to be because of uh, the LGBT movement really started near here and. Uh, so, and we're really proud to to say that we're the home of pride every June, it's, or the, year round. <laughs> the, the two most fabulous events um, are Halloween. You've got to see Halloween if you if you're somewhere else in the world. You really have to see Halloween in West Hollywood to believe it. it yeah, it's blocks yeah. and blocks and blocks um, of Santa Monica Boulevard that are closed off, and there's. I don't know how many stages there are, but there's a whole heap and there's all this entertainment going on and there's and everybody dressed up in the Hollywood in their Halloween costumes. It is incredible. And the Pride event is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's... It yes, yeah, both events so probably get about a half a million people or more. Um, this year, Pride will be televised for the first time, oh, so right. we expect that to be even more. We have some great entertainment. And then, of course, we have the parade on Sunday. The difference this year is that this is the 49th year. Next year will be the 50th, so we are getting prepared for that. And they, we are... Um, Pride that is run by Christopher Street West along with their partners at the city will be closing Santa Monica Boulevard from, um, let's see, it's from, Do let's see, I'm, so I'm trying to get the streets right, from yeah. um, uh, Robertson to close to La Cienica, uh, Hancock, I believe, Hancock right. to Robertson. So that'll be closed, and then Robertson itself will be closed on Saturday and Sunday as well. And then, of course, San Vicente. So you have San Vicente, Robertson. San Vicente is where the festival will be. Santa Monica Boulevard is where the parade will be on Sunday. But on Saturday uh, and, uh, and Sunday before the parade, there will be all sorts of free um, booths. People will be, it'll be a big street festival where people can go. And then there's the ticketed festival where you can go in where they have the sure. stage and some other things. So there's a lot of activities to handle for the entire weekend. And the city of West Hollywood has something called One City, One Pride, which is a whole month of activities of Pride events.
So you, um, you've had a fabulous career. So what were you doing before you started with the Pacific De- Design Center? Well, I I came from I, uh, when I got to Los Angeles in '94. I had done uh, event marketing, promotional marketing throughout my career in the. I would want to age myself here, Bob, but the mid '80s. I and um, I wouldn't. So worry I worked about for it. magazine companies <laughs> and I did special events. And when I got to Los Angeles in '94, my resume came across the desk of someone in the visitors bureau downtown, and uh, they asked me to revamp. A Pride of Place PSA. Um, it was right after the earthquakes, floods, and riots, and fires. And so it was really sort of a Pride of Place for Angelinos PSA to get on the air, as well as work on an in flight video that Propaganda Films had done. And um, so it was really to promote Los Angeles as a destination. And we were, we were working uh, in the travel industry. And while I was doing these smaller contracts, uh, Los Angeles won the bid to host Pow Wow, which was a very powerful travel travel show that brought in $300 million into the economy. And so I was hired to produce that show, the closing night event in New York at Radio City Music Hall, and then the five-day event in Los Angeles. And it was to promote uh, Los Angeles as a destination to 72 countries. And it was wholesale market where they actually contracted $3 billion of business and a host destination benefited 10% of that, so $300 million. So it was a very significant and important event and um, when I got to Los Angeles and I had four additional contracts with the, um, I was an independent contractor and after that I didn't really have to apply for a job. I was very fortunate that my name was out there in the community and so um, uh, they were building Santa, the Pacific Park on the Santa Monica Pier uh, when I uh, when my contract ended and I was hired to be VP of marketing at the pier um, and I always stayed sort of with the travel industry destination marketing um, and then Charles Cohen bought the Pacific Design Center in 99 and heard about me and reached out uh, for an interview and the rest is history in West Hollywood so I've been working in West Hollywood over 18 almost 20 years and, um, and you're still only it. a child yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. If you don't live here, you you don't really get a, a picture of the Pacific Design Center. It is 1.2 million square feet. It is a mm-hmm. behemoth. It is enormous. And yeah. um, I told you at the start of this interview, I told you how smart this lady was. I wasn't. <laughs> she is smart. Um, well, we worked on the development of the PDC. We, you know, it was the blue and green building. The blue yeah. building was built in '75. The green building in '88, and the red building was always part of Caesar Pelli, the architect's vision, but it hadn't been built. And so, when we took the PDC in '99, we started working with Caesar Pelli to realize that vision and complete the the complete the composition of the three buildings, red, blue, and green, all uh, red glass, green glass, blue glass, and um, really a spectacular. And then we brought in the Museum of Contemporary Art to run a gallery, brought in Wolfgang Puck to run some restaurants. 
and we renovated and we filled the place to 90% occupancy. And um, so we did a good job. And I think it was something that uh, only only someone like Charles could have done. It was pretty much uh, the showroom business was not really filling the buildings at that point. Uh, the economies had changed. So uh, it was a brilliant move. And now it has entertainment companies as well as design companies and PR companies and people in the entertainment industry. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, now, West Hollywood's made up of mainly dynamic young people that are in tech and new media and entertainment, and there's now film and record industry functions here all the time. Is that what sets West Hollywood Chamber apart? Is, is that why the other night there was so much sort of energy and enthusiasm that you don't usually see at Chambers? Well, it's it's interesting, Bob. I do agree. We have, and I think it's partly because of just being West Hollywood, this chamber, and we go a little beyond our borders as well because we attract people that really want the West Hollywood market or they uh, believe in the core values of the city. There's a lot of reasons why people would join. Um, Our number one economic feeder is tourism. Uh, 26% of our employment is hospitality. We have 23 hotels within one point nine miles um, and they're usually at 85% occupancy so we have a really good uh, hospitality and hotel market uh, and that doesn't seem to be dying off uh, so it continu- continues to thrive and then of course all our bars and nightclubs then we have a design district we have the Sunset Strip as you mentioned the rock and roll and then the east side is really starting to be developed as sort of this eclectic mix of very hip and unique boutique businesses yeah. um, so I think that that for us, it's all of those combination of things. You know, a lot of chambers, and again, a lot of chambers who benefits are professional services. So you many times in communities with chambers, you'll see a lot of brokers, realtors, which we have all those. You know, they're all very valuable members. Yeah. Uh, insurance brokers. Um, in fact, uh, our insurance bro- one of our insurance uh, members who is on our board said 50% of his business has come from chamber uh, relationships. Oh. So, um, you know, so... But those are, you know, typically who benefits from a chamber. Our chamber is very different in the sense that we also create platforms that are more of uh, looking at. So when we came to the chamber, we said, how do we, I I use the term, we had to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, we had to stop resuscitating the same type of chamber of commerce because there's so many other things that uh, a business can use in today's market uh, that provide the same things a chamber does, whether it's networking or advocacy or um, connections, et cetera. So we had to say, how do we set ourselves apart and said, look at our economic drivers and how do we create promotional platforms that can help to market to those uh, to those um, areas where customers are to extract for the business without the cha- without the business having to show up at something. Right. Uh, people are time deprived now. People, there's different generations. It's not your daddy's chamber anymore that you're going to sit on a board for years without uh, having a purpose. Um, and, or a lot of times, people in the in the old days used to join just because it was their civic duty. Uh, you don't have that anymore. And a lot of people don't understand that chambers are also funded solely by that membership. Sure. Or by uh, different non-dues revenue, most chambers, hopefully if they're worth their salt, do not get funded by the city in which they are in. And the reason for that is not 
it's not so that they, it's so they can be a good partner to the city, but they can also maintain the integrity of advocating for the business if they need to. And so the more you can have a service agreement with your city or your partnerships and remain independent of that financially, you will serve your business community so much better. And I think this chamber also took some very bold steps to say we are your advocate and we take action to represent your business interest to government. And we had to, and a lot of times in a small town, which West Hollywood, even though it's a big, powerful urban city, yeah. it is still 1.9 miles and uh, has a residential base and business base and a council. And so we really had to say, how can we um, advocate and still maintain our core values and, 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 and be courageous because by being courageous, we may, might not make the council happy because we might not be supporting something that they're putting forward. Um, so how do we work with our city to arrive at their objective but do it in a kinder, gentler way to businesses or how do we do it in a more educational way? And sometimes flat out, we're not going to come together on and agree. But the city understands that with our chamber. And so we've come a long way in our members trusting now that we're going to represent them and that we have their back. So I think most chambers of commerce sort of mirror the community that they serve. But so do you do that or do you really set the tone for what you want the community to to look like? I think a little of both. That's a really good question, Bob. We, um, I think a little of both. We try to uh, create uh, you know, as I said, so uh, I'll give you an example. You know, we have, uh, we're West Hollywood, so we're very democratically left, our city council, yep. um, but our businesses are as well. So I'll give you an example with minimum wage as an example. Um, a lot of cities were going higher, and we all agreed that minimum wage should have been raised in the last five years, but it wasn't. Sure. Um, but the fact that we're trying to bring a 67% increase to small businesses when they have a 2% net, if you do the math, that's really going to put them out of business. Sure. And a lot of my businesses would said, you know, Genevieve, I, I, if I didn't own a business, I'd be holding that $15 sign, but I own a business and I'm embarrassed, but it's going to kill me, right? So we said, well, how can we arrive at helping grow the minimum wage and serve the worker, but at the same time protect the business, you know? How do we look to, um, or another example would be the city has certain regulation or fee structures that impact a small business that's trying to get open or expand. Right. So we, we would approach the city with a small business initiative that says, how can you do a scalable fee structure that matches the size of the business? Why does a tenant improvement permit have to be 10,000 square feet above or below? Why can't we have 1,500 feet or 5,000 feet? Why can't the fees be appropriate to the size of business to help them out? So a lot of times we are trying to meet the core values of the city because we also believe in those core values, but we're also trying to protect a business, a unique boutique business community that high rents are going to force out of the market if we don't do something to help find a way for the future of those small businesses in West Hollywood. So I, I noticed the, the night the other night when I was at the mixer that the mayor of WeHo was was there. Does the chamber have much input or clout when it comes to the council decisions, or do you simply comment or so do you initiate things for the to, that go to the council? Right. 
Yeah, well, the mayor pro tem, uh, and she alluded to the small business initiative. That's a perfect example. We are initiating two years of work on a small business initiative for exactly what I talked about, whether it's to how do we look at alleyways as an example and make them cobblestones, make them live work environment and little boutique businesses. How do we take, um, uh, areas that are that are completely flat and there's no access for there's no interactive for pedestrian and there's no depth for a business but you could do liner shops that don't require bathrooms or parking right. to create interactive on how do we create scalable fee structures how do we create signage so that people can see businesses as they're walking down the street all of those things so what we're doing is we're creating that recommendation to council and to the city staff and saying hey take a look at this we'd love for this to be part of adopted into the general plan that we look at small business through this filter. How can we work with you and partner with you on this to make this a reality and how do we look at how this can be implemented? So we'll do things like that. Minimum wage, same thing. We brought the council to a lot of roundtables. When we were the minimum wage discussion, we really changed the conversation because we brought in not just the businesses to those roundtables. We brought in the residential community because we said the 20% increase the business is going to have to put on product and services is going to affect the local resident that's yeah. on a 20 is on disability or 20% you know sure. um whatever their income is. So we need to be able to work with the city to say, uh, here's the unintended consequences. Can you relook at this? Um, we help to inform. Um, I'm certainly not a one-man show. I report to a board of directors. They set the vision. We go through a pro- government affairs process for something that we want to take a position on so that I can speak publicly about it. But we certainly bring our council into meetings, committee meetings. Um, Another example is we've been working on the billboard policy with the city for a long time. Uh, We brought all the billboard companies together, uh, city staff. We're working on the policy and talk about how this impacts the billboard community or the advertising community. And then they get informed by the business community to help write the policy that's going to work the best. The same token, the city has an objective. They want an arts program for that, the billboards, etc. And the billboards have to be able be willing to say we'll provide you um, inventory to do your arts program. So there's a, there's a two-way street here that right. we work together with the council on and the city staff. The um, West Hollywood's a vibrant collection of businesses, you know, a lot of which are connected to the entertainment media and new technology mm-hmm. sectors. Do you have specific programs for each of those sectors? So how do you look after each of their interests or have they actually all got a collective interest? Well, it's interesting. It depends on the – sometimes it depends on the moment in time, such as the billboard district policy. Um, right now, our vibrant collection of businesses is cannabis. <laughs> right. um, we have uh, the city issued 40 licenses, uh, eight retail, eight medical, eight delivery, eight consumption vaping, and eight consumption edible. Um, what, uh, and we're one of the first cities to look at really consumption lounges that, that, that work like as a bar or a nightclub in the commercial nightlife districts that would be a safe place for people to go consume. 
now, um, the state right now is causing issues with that because they're not allowing any non-cannabis product next to cannabis products, which means the whole concept of a cafe and sure. a restaurant that we wanted to do for some of these businesses is um, is not a pathway to success. So we have to work on the legislation to give them a pathway. And cannabis, so cannabis have, coffee is not legal. <laughs> right, exactly. So, it's available. So we're trying to, yeah. <laughs> but it's not right. legal. <laughs> exactly. So what we're trying to do is say the city had this great vision. The city was wonderful in how they uh, how they they uh, they uh, invited companies to sort of bid in this sort of scoring process of who would be the get the golden tickets. Uh, and so we have some amazing concepts coming forth from wellness and spas to consumption cafes that are all going to be fantastic once we get past the legislation that's blocking some of this from the state level. But we do things like that, and we have things like um, we partner with things like A Million Cups, which is an entrepreneur for techs, you know, startups. Yeah. And um, we have uh, various uh, committees for special events or for marketing or for um, uh, government affairs, as we talked about. So it depends on, in some cases, it's, it's promotional programming. In some t- cases, it's committees. In some cases, it might be events. But yeah, we, we try to, uh, you know, when I first took this job, Bob, I, I came as a marketing person, and a lot of times chambers have hired government-type people. Sure. And one of the things I said was we need to niche market. So one of my first chamber conferences I went to in Sacramento said, oh, you can't niche market because a chamber can't be all things to all categories. And I went, oops, too late now. I'm already doing it. Yeah. Well, then the next conference I went to, they said, oh, you know what? You got to be something to somebody. So maybe we should niche market. So I thought, okay, we're on the right track. <laughs> so I think chambers uh, at the time when I took this job in 2010, it, we were in trouble. You know, the economy had you know, took, taken a dive. Tank, Chamber yeah. membership's probably the first thing to be cut. Uh, we had to start to say, how can we be relevant to the business community again? Uh, how can we be courageous for them? And so it really is a sh- changing. You know, I think chambers of commerce have had to change and shift and understand how to be viable again. Yeah. One of the problems that when I work across the country with chambers, one of the reasons that I was engaged to do it was to build memberships. Um, Chambers had trouble attracting new members and so I went in and did a razzmatazz and pointed out all the benefits of chambers and and we we had quite a successful – it was – Overall, very successful. We've got a lot of new people in the chambers. But um, do you have trouble attracting mem- new members to the WeHo chamber? Well, not. I don't. We. I don't think so. <laughs> um, I don't think that's been our. Oh, it hasn't been a challenge for a while. Now, it was in the beginning, uh, I think, because like like a lot of chambers, uh, members, people, businesses didn't feel the value. Um, I also feel that like the service professionals that I talked about before, chambers were very um, designed to – to provide benefits that that serve the service professional, the realtor, the broker, the insurance guy, the banker, the real, etc. But when we look at our community, and I and I came from the Pacific Design Center, I said, okay, how would a showroom that serves the trade? Because I, as a chamber, certainly can never compete with them on reaching architects and designers the way sure. they can already in their own market, right? Yeah. But what I can do is I can create a platform uh, 
about building and design in West Hollywood that promotes product design and services to developers and hoteliers and condo owners and people that would hire architects and designers or shop at the PDC and or, or anywhere in the design district in West Hollywood. And so what I looked at is how do we make the chamber, the benefits that the chamber can provide, how can we translate that? Now, we can say to everyone, oh, the chamber works on all this broad business stuff that benefits you even though you know it or not. It may not be a direct benefit, but you benefit regardless. But they don't feel that as a business. And you're running, a, you can't always get out from behind your cash register or your office to go network, right? Yeah. So you have to say, sure. how do I bring business to that? How do I give them value without them showing up, right? We yeah. had to stop saying you have to show up, show up to get something out of it. Now, you'll get more showing up. You'll get more value, of course, if you engage. But we had to kind of look to that time-deprived people traveling in LA, how do we get them or people that don't necessarily get something out of a networking event? So we, and when, and it struck me when we did a program for Ian Schrager and Ian Schrager is um, part of the hotel project on Doheny Sunset with the Marriott uh, Edition Hotel. And Ian Schrager was doing a, um, a, a program for us and I thought about it and I thought, I, I was talking to his architect and, you know, they're going to source in New York. And I thought, if Ian Schrager is going to build a hotel in West Hollywood, he should be sourcing in West Hollywood. We have marble. We have tile. We have fabric. We have all of the things, that the hardware that you need to buy. So he's going to source in New York. I know that. But if we can get into people's hands the link to that platform where they can source locally, um, then we've done our job in trying to extract business for those uh, people that join the chamber that are in that world of design or product. So that's what we're trying to do. Now, can we be all things to all people? Maybe not. And maybe not all people are going to get benefit from the chamber. But we're going to try our best to at least reach our economic drivers. And we partner with the Tourism Bureau a lot as well because obviously tourism's pretty important here. What is What is being done? One of the things that concerns me, and I don't, I don't know a lot about the planning of it, but one of the things that concerns me as I drive down Sunset is the massive developments that are taking place all the way along. Um, mm-hmm. How, how, what do you do, what is being done to control development and preserving all the sort of quirky, history-laden buildings and and where, where the real stories of, of the growth of rock and roll, I guess, which is you know one of the biggest industries in the world. What is somebody consciously trying to preserve all that stuff? Yeah, I think I think there is uh, definitely that. Um, there's concerns for that. You know, of course, the very sad when we saw the House of Blues go away. Yep. Um, House of Blues was always it was built on a on an on an earthquake fault, right. um, and the way it was built, according to um, people that I general managers that I've had on my board from House of Blues over the years, yeah. uh, have said that it was very challenging to build and create a concert venue that had enough. Space to be viable and um, financially, and so it's always been a struggle. Yeah. Um, now it's always full when I went. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. But it's the viability, the numbers, right, yeah, no, on I a business that. level, right? Yeah. And so it's whether, and again, I don't know their business. Well, they could have been completely successful. I'm just taking hearsay of what I've heard. Um, 
I also know that, you know, when that, the Live Nation took that lease, et cetera, I think iconically, I wish we could have kept House of Blues regardless, right? Yeah. I think yeah. all of us would have. I think the other thing that um, I found, and again, this is one of the things, I went to a conference in Chicago that was about economic, um, it was it was about the economics of nightlife. And when we walked out of this one program, um, you know, this guy was talking about, he says, let's say a guy goes into your neighborhood meeting, he's got long hair and he's got tattoos all over and he says, hey, I'm going to open up a nightclub right down the street here and it's going to be open till 4 a.m. and I'm going to have heavy metal music and will you help me approve my project? And everybody laughed and they said, of course, you know, we live in a dense community where <laughs> residents and commercial districts have to coexist. And a lot of those people that moved there when they were younger are aging now, so things are bothering them maybe more, but they, we have that problem of coexisting, obviously, in a dense community. Well, the guy set up there, he says, if we don't learn how to coexist, he says, we would never have had CBGBs, we would never have had, had, had the punk rock scene. He said, so these are important, these community venues, live music venues are important. Absolutely. Well, we walked out of that uh, meeting, and I was with the person from the city hall and they said do you know that when house of blues closes we will only have five uh four music venues left on sunset strip and that was shocking to me i don't yeah. know that anyone had counted now with the troubadour we have five now that's not to say we won't have more music up on sunset strip it just means that right now the way real estate is we will you will never be able to have a concert club that pencils out uh, but you might so what's evolving on the Strip now is you will find we're working with businesses to create more smaller music type of experiences so that you still have those. If you have big development, you're incorporating. As, as an example, the Arts Club from the Lond from London yeah. is going to go where the Hustler building is. Yep. We have an artist, a member artist, who wants to save the globe, right? So right. that the globe becomes an art piece somewhere else. So we're really looking at how do we preserve certain things. The Arts Club is brilliant and it's going to be spectacular and it'll have an incredible artist venue within it as well. So there are arts and culture and music and and there's there's also a lot of luxury brands and high dining high you know fine dining that's starting to get out up on the strip. So you do have I mean it does look like you have a lot of hotels and there are but hopefully those hotels are also incorporating event space and art space and music space and all of those things that will keep that activity going on the strip. Um, yes, it's evolving, but I don't I think the history of the strip will never die. Um, I've heard people who want to create museums. We originally had Gibson moving into Tower Records. Now, you know, we're not, but certainly Tower Records is iconic. Yes, um, sure. You know, there's a lot of things we want to preserve. So I, I hear you, Bob, and I, I feel that people are looking to that. I, I think there's a concern of development uh, on the strip, but we also have to look at um, commercial corridors are the only place where we can do height and growth, you know, when we live in yeah. such a dense community as well. Um, what I'd really like to see is a convention hall. <laughs> Someone needs to build that because we have all these hotels and not enough meeting space. So yeah. that would be really great <laughs> if we had that. Okay. Now, this brings us to this month's Pride calendar and the legendary Pride weekend right. celebrating its 49th year. That's incredible. Jeez, I remember when all this started. It's sad. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I know you're looking to the 50th anniversary next year, which will be one hell of a party. Um, but for now, and knowing that, you know, nearly half a million people come from all across the world to celebrate pride in our little neighbourhood, 
what can we expect over the weekend of the 8th and 9th June? Well, uh, well, let's see. You have the street closures, of course. We've got um, – uh, let me just get, run off the schedule here really quick. Um, we have on uh, – we have the Dyke March, which is free, and that's going to be on Friday night, the 7th, yep. from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. That'll be at the uh, Santa Monica Boulevard in Holloway. We have the Pride Opening Night Reception, which is also free at West Hollywood Park. That's Friday the 7th as well, from 6 p.m. to 12 a.m. Um, and all this can be found at um, lapride.org, just so everyone knows. Um, the Pride Festival, that's the ticketed event yep. uh, in West Hollywood Park um, and the San Vicente entrance. And then we have the Pride on the Boulevard, the uh, West Hollywood Chamber. We'll have a Jaguar convertible in the parade, and we're going to have like tons of walkers. We have hundreds of people joining us. Yep. And that's um, on Saturday uh, oh, I'm sorry. Pride on the Boulevard. I'm sorry. That's the Pride on the Boulevard will be. Uh, that's a free event. That's the one I talked about. Um, Hancock to Doheny yes. being um, closed. So that's a free event as well. And then we have the Pride Parade on Sunday, June 9th, which is also my birthday. So <laughs> Happy birthday. beginning at 10:45. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, it's for those of you listening across the world. Those two events are. Absolutely brilliant. We, our household wouldn't miss them. We have a great time every year and we, we thoroughly enjoy it. Um, and I think for those of you listening for the last 45 minutes or whatever it's been, I think you'd agree that Genevieve is one dynamic, fantastic advocate for West Hollywood. And um, Genevieve, we're very lucky to have you in this area. Very lucky. Well, Thank you very much, Bob. It was a pleasure. I'm glad that we connected. And uh, check out the schedule for Pride. There's a lot of great uh, entertainment. Paula Abdul is performing and a lot of other big names. So. Great. Now, to um, contact Genevieve and find out more about the West Hollywood Chamber of Commerce, go to WeHo, which is W-E-H-O, chamber.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Absolutely No Bullshit Business Radio Show. Coming at you on Voice America Business Network. And we're broadcasting across the world today from the historic center of Mexico City in Mexico. I hope you enjoyed that uh, interview. I loved it. I had a great time. Genevieve is a super, super person, and uh, it's a very well-functioning chamber. When we were in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago visiting our son at Google, we couldn't help but notice people sitting at desks in the street where you'd normally have cars. What makes it even more extraordinary is that it's almost impossible to find a bloody car space. 
in this incredibly crowded city. We'd go out in the morning looking for um, coffee, and you, you could find the coffee shops, but you couldn't find anywhere to park. So how's this for an incredible story? In San Francisco, people are paying $125 a week to work in a parking space. So you put your desk and your chair in the parking space, and uh, that's your office. And then at the end of the day, you just pack it up, take it inside, and that's done. And as you read this newsletter, just keep in mind that the population of San Francisco is only 884,000 people. That's hardly any. Um, Victor Pontus set up We Park, which is what it's called, um, near San Francisco City Hall after being inspired by Twitter. Somebody said, what if you could work out of a parking spot? Victor thought it was pretty funny but an interesting idea. He promoted the idea and about 30 people showed up the first day. So using metered street parking is now really a happening thing. These parking spaces are now increasingly being used for trendy street side restaurant seating, extra sidewalk space, bike share stations, art exhibitions, anything you can stick on a car space. I mean, it's quite extraordinary. And parking spaces are cheap compared with all the other real estate in San Francisco. You know, the median price of a home is $1.3 million, and the median rent for a two-bedroom apartment is about 3500 bucks. That's you know, double, triple what the mean is across the country. So homes are so expensive in San Francisco that only 12% of households can afford them. With nearly six percent of, sorry, sixty percent of tech employees who earn pretty good dough, unable to afford them. Whew. Tech giants have crowded the city with more people, and have in part fueled the soaring real estate prices. And San Francisco also deals with a crowded homeless population of about seventy-five hundred dollars. The Bay Area is home to more wealthy people than any other metro area in the United States. It is quite remarkable. And a family of four earning $117,000 a year in San Francisco is considered to be low income. <laughs> ah, see, and you thought your home was expensive. Remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. It's easier and it's much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Any bastard can do the ordinary. It's simple. So if you're always trying to be normal, you're always going to be very boring, and you'll never know how extraordinary you can be if you just break the rules a little. So I hope you can join me again next Tuesday when I will again be broadcasting from the historic quarter of Mexico City, Mexico. In the meanwhile, have a great week and continue to be successful because – the alternative really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.